welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. And we're Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And we're excited to get into the Word and to share with others. So, Chase, this is episode one. We're sitting here in your office, and we kind of have no idea what we're doing, but we're we're doing this podcast. Yeah, we're jumping on the podcast train. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be what everyone's listening to now, and so we thought it would be a good idea to make a podcast in God's Word and spread it out to anyone who would like to hear it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, HBG Bible Talks, um, if you're not from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, you may be like, okay, what's the acronym? So, uh, HBG Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, one of the purposes for this podcast is we'd love to reach out to people locally and to, uh, to hear from you, um, to get God's word into the lives of more people in, in this city, uh, but also beyond Harrisburg, uh, wherever you're from, we hope that, uh, this podcast is beneficial to you. We know that everyone needs, needs God's word, uh, wherever you are. Um, what we're going to do with the format of this podcast is uh, we are going to read the biblical text um, so that you can follow along. Maybe you're on your commute to work. Uh, maybe you're sitting at home with your Bible open. Uh, whatever your situation is, we hope that uh, you'll be able to hear God's word and then we'll, we'll comment on it kind of as we go. And um, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. And- and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible as we go through the text. Yeah, so if you hear us reading slightly different versions, that's what's going on there. Uh, we're blessed to have lots of good translations in English. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about uh, what you're hearing on the show today, um, you can text or call us at our Google Voice number, 717-585-0949. Um, you can drop us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. That's capital with an A-L. I always get confused with the A or the O. The A is the city and the O is the, the building where it all goes down. Yeah, I get confused about that as well. But yeah, it is, in fact, capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or you can get on our website at capitalcitychristians.com. And from there, you'll find links to all of our social media pages and other events uh, for Bible study. Yeah, sounds great. All right, well, let's do this. Uh, We're starting uh, with the Gospel of Mark, um, second book of the New Testament. Yeah, he's one of four gospel writers. Um, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Mark is actually the shortest of the four gospels. He's yeah. only 16 chapters long, and uh, actually my favorite gospel of the four. Yeah, I, I really enjoy going through Mark. I remember uh, when a, a friend of ours um, had kind of talked with us about going through Mark with people, and something I really like to do um, when I'm just sitting down to study the Bible with somebody for the first time, getting to know where they're coming from, uh, we got to start with Jesus. I mean, he's the center of it all, and the Gospels let us see him more clearly. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who Mark is not their favorite Gospel because he won't include some things that the other Gospel writers won't. But I always like to say there is a lot of wisdom and brevity. When somebody can take a really big story and boil it down to the bare bolts, Sometimes there's a lot of wisdom in that, and I think Mark certainly does that. He highlights the biggest moments in Jesus' life, and he'll have a few things he'll record that the other gospel writers don't, and so it's always fun to point those out as we go. Yeah, and I think there's real value. You know, I grew up kind of hearing the gospel presented with like a harmony of the gospels where, you know, you'd read like a little bit from Matthew and then a little bit from Luke and a little bit from Mark and kind of mash them all together. And I think there's real value in reading the Gospels individually, you know, 
that's the way where they're preserved for us. And the gospel authors um, will will draw out different themes in the life of Jesus that they'll put stories next to each other that go together. And again, it's not really been until recently that I've started reading the gospel that way with like, okay, like why is this story here? Like why did Mark include it here? And I think that as we go through this study, it'll be real, really valuable to see kind of, okay, like these stories connect there. There's a, there's a point that the author's making here about Jesus that he wants us to see. Yeah, exactly. My, my experience has been just like Stevens. I mean, growing up, I'd always heard the different stories that Jesus told, but never sat down and read through the gospel. And it wasn't until I was a teenager, I read through the gospel of Mark and realized that the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are two completely different stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just always thought it was a variance in numbers, but in fact, Jesus feeds 5,000 in Mark 6, and then he feeds 4,000 in Mark 8. Yeah. And I didn't know that until I sat down to read through the entire gospel account and learn that. Yeah. And so it's cool. I mean, reading the Bible through the years is is really an amazing thing because you, you go back and you realize, wow, like I didn't remember that detail or, oh, whoa, like this wasn't where I thought it was or, and so we're always coming to a deeper understanding of God's word and, and really the purpose behind it. Yeah. And the only way we'll accomplish that is by reading. And so that's exactly what we're going to do today. Yep. That's right. Well, let's begin. Um, Mark chapter one. Um, and uh, let's do verses 1 through 8. Uh, we're going to read through about a paragraph or so at a time, and then we'll, we'll comment. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Wow. So, page one. Uh, Mark gets right right into it. Yeah, just like any book, the introduction is one of the most important parts. We're introduced to the characters, the setting, uh, what some of the major themes are going to be. And from the beginning, we learn who this entire narrative is about. It is about Jesus Christ the Son of God. And in particular, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son yeah. of God. Gospel, like what does that even mean? Like, yeah, that's one of those churchy words that gets thrown yeah, around. Yeah, we don't use that word in everyday language, but the word gospel literally means good news. And so there are actually some Bible translations here that will read the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah. And so the question is, okay, like, well, what's the good news? Yeah, exactly. Keep reading to find out. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Yeah, and that's where it helps to do a little digging and find out what the actual names of Jesus means. And so, from the beginning, he tells us it's the good news of Jesus. And what does the name Jesus even mean? Well, Jesus uh, is actually the same as the Old Testament name Joshua, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, Um, it would be pronounced more like Yeshua. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, when Jesus was. uh, being addressed, and it means salvation is from the Lord, um, from Yahweh. Um, Yeshua is that idea. 
of uh, Yahweh is salvation. Um, so it would have been a pretty common name. Jesus is not like the only Jesus in the Bible as far as like that that name. Right. And it's actually interesting. You hear a lot of people saying, well, you should never name your kid Jesus. And yet we name a lot of our kids Joshua, which is the Hebrew equivalent. So, <laughs> that but is, it is, uh, yeah, it's uh, a really powerful name. And it invokes us to think about salvation coming from Yahweh, from the God of the universe and the God of the Israelites. Yeah. And so he's the he's the Christ. And so like, we think of that like, like it's Jesus' last name, but yeah, like Stephen Rouse, Chase Byers, Jesus Christ. The th- yeah. you know, there's the three of them. But you know, Christ actually means the anointed one or the That's Messiah. Right. Yeah, is the, another the, word. So the Hebrew and the Old Testament, Messiah, the anointed. Yeah, um, when, when you hear the anointed, when you hear the anointed, what comes to your mind? I, I think about a king. Yeah, you know I mean, we don't. I don't think anoint our presidents, but like historically, that's a thing where people will anoint their ruler and he's he's given authority and power and kind of the moment that happens is when he's anointed it's like all right you are now the king you you got the power right so uh, he's jesus the anointed yeah so that we already know salvation is from the lord is what this guy's name means it means that he's going to be a king of some kind if he's anointed and then the very last thing we learn about him in verse one is that he is the son of god yes so this is not just a regular human, uh, just another king or ruler, but he is come from God himself. And we'll see a little bit more on that at the baptism of Jesus in just a minute. But that Mark is just setting out, okay, here's who we're talking about. I'm trying to convince you that Jesus is the anointed that the Old Testament talks about and that he is the very son of God. Yeah. He has all authority. And so actually we're going to see that kind of bookend Mark's gospel, uh, spoiler alert here. If you go to chapter 16, the, the very end of the gospel of Mark, uh, actually, excuse me, chapter 15, when Jesus uh, is crucified, um, this is Mark 15, verse 39. Uh, and when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son, son of, of God. God. Yeah. And so it's like right there at the end, uh, at the beginning and at the end of Mark's gospel, he's like, all right, this, I'm going to show you he's the son of God. And then the centurion, you know, Gentile at the end is the one who says, oh, yeah, truly, this is the son of God. So uh, Mark begins his gospel uh, with a quotation from the Old Testament. And he says it's written in Isaiah, the prophet, although this quotation is actually kind of a mashup of two quotations. Um, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The first part is from Malachi chapter three, verse one. And then, um, verse three of Mark one, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight is from Isaiah 40 verse three. And this is a pretty common thing that the new Testament writers will do is they will, uh, mash up Old Testament quotations, kind of put them together, hybridize them a little bit. And the idea is to get the sense that Jesus fulfills both of these passages. Um, He is the messenger preparing the way for the Lord in Malachi, and he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord uh, in the book of Isaiah. So he quotes from this, and then... um, you know, who's this, who's this prophecy actually about? Because you figure like, oh, this has got to be about Jesus, right? It's about this really weird guy named John the Baptizer, or the most translations say John the Baptist. And this guy is... It's not is, like the Baptist, like, you know, are you, are you 
part of the Baptist church. Right, right. A, this guy was identified by what he was doing to people, and he was baptizing people, so he was known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And yeah, I've always thought that's really interesting, Stephen. Mark tells us about Jesus, and then the very beginning of the story is really about John the Baptist. Yeah. But it's because he's doing this very thing that he was prophesied to do, and that was to go and prepare the way for the Lord. But this language that's used in Isaiah 40 is really, really cool. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever a king was going to come into the land, what would they do? They would send forth these people that would clear the way. They would take branches and lay it down on the road, and they would fill in the potholes on the road so that the king would have this smooth entrance into the kingdom. And that's kind of the idea of what John the Baptist is for Jesus. He's the anointed one. He's the king. He is going to be preparing the way for Jesus to come into his land. Yeah, so he's like, I think the old term for that was like a herald. Yeah, right? the herald. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we sing it like, hark the herald angels sing. Yeah, and that's the, right. And the angels were kind of heralds for Jesus too. Yeah. But John was on the scene, you know, earlier, uh, well, actually I guess later, not right after the birth of Jesus, but they're about the same age. John's a little older. And um, so he comes onto the scene and he is proclaiming. And what's interesting, so he's, he's out and he's baptizing in the wilderness uh, and he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of of sins and that should get our attention right out of the the gate is like we we live any length of time we realize we're imperfect broken people and we sin we we hurt other people and we uh don't do what's right and we need forgiveness and so this is good news um but it talks about baptism and repentance and, and really these are going to be big themes at the beginning of mark and they're going to come back at the again at the end of the book again introduction just really important material here. But this is John's message. Very simply, you need to repent. Uh, change your ways. I think that's a little bit about what the uh, Isaiah quote was talking about when it says, make his path straight. Like they would literally do that for the king, like fill in the potholes or whatever. But that's also true in our lives. Like we need to make our lives straight. Repent. Uh, turn around. Get get things back in order. Uh, do what's right. Because um, Jesus is coming. Right, and that word repent is interesting, isn't it? It's not a word we use every yeah, day. Yeah, it's like, one of those churchy words. Yeah, you're not in the workplace saying, hey man, you need to repent of what you did. You know, that, that, that English word doesn't pop up all the time. But like Stephen said, the idea is to, to change your purpose, your intent, your mind, your actions. Everything about yourself is being changed because of what you now believe about Jesus Christ. And so it is appropriate that it's a Bible word. Yeah. So, so John's out here in the wilderness, like he's not in the middle of the city, uh, but people are going out to him. Uh, it says the country of Judea, Jerusalem, uh, man, they're all going to him and people are being baptized in the river Jordan and they're confessing their sins. And so they're apparently confessing because they're turning away from those sins, right? We're done with this. And John is just hugely popular, I think probably because it's been like, give or take 400 years since Malachi was prophesying. Right. And so the people kind of starved for a prophet. And they're like, whoa, like, here's a guy actually talking like, thus says the Lord, you know, here comes something new. And so... And that, that gives us a little bit of insight into what he was wearing in verse 6. Because if you're not familiar with some of the Old Testament language and, and maybe some of the prophets of the Old Testament, what John is wearing and doing is actually really weird. I mean, he's clothed in camel's hair in verse 6 and wears a leather belt around his waist. And he's eating locusts and wild honey. He's kind of a sketchy looking guy. Uh, <laughs> at least by our standards. Yeah, at least by our standards. And so who is this talking about? What What would most Jews who see this, what would come to their mind? 
Yeah, it's really interesting that if you go back to Second Kings chapter one, uh, I'll just read this real quick. And this is um, uh, King Ahaziah, and uh, I won't read the whole story, but basically um, he hears about um, Elijah, and he asks them, you know, what kind of man was he? This is a uh, First Kings or Second Kings rather. Chapter 1, verse 7, he said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered him, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. So uh, John the Baptist, the baptizer, is out in the wilderness with his Elijah get up. Um, so he's kind of channeling his Elijah-ness, uh, which is actually going to be a lot of really cool connections between Elijah and John the Baptist, as well as Elisha and Jesus, um, that Elisha is even greater than Elijah. He gets like a double portion of his spirit. And um, Jesus, of course, infinitely greater than, than John. And that's John's other main point here is um, he's preaching, verse 7 of Mark 1, uh, and saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. John is not about himself. Uh, he's constantly pointing people to Jesus. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that stands out to me. It's just his humility. If the people have been starved for a prophet, like Stephen said, for 400 years, John the Baptist comes on the scene, is clearly from God, and is getting attention like this, I think it would be really easy to just want to be puffed up about that. But he yet humbly says, you all don't even know Compared to me, there's one coming after me that's even greater. Yeah. And so his humility here is what always surprises me. That's right. And I think that's the point of verse 8 as well. He baptizes with water, which that's what he's kind of known for. But Jesus is able to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so we'll see that later in Mark and then even in the book of Acts, some connections there. Um, and, of course, Jesus is about to be baptized himself right. in yeah. this next section. So uh, let's, look, let's look at that next section here, um, Mark chapter 1. Um and uh, you want to do verses uh, 9 through 13? Sure, yeah. In verse 9 of Mark 1, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. And I mean, this is where we see uh, Mark's brief style. Uh, I mean, he's just like boom, boom, boom. He gives you the, the, uh, the bare Spark bones notes. of it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, there you go, the cliff notes or whatever that is. Um, so Jesus comes from Nazareth, and again, it's just really kind of, abrupt how Jesus comes in. I mean, we've been told, hey, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, and then he comes on the scene, he's from Nazareth of Galilee, which is like this backwoods, kind of nowhere town outside of a, you know, more sparsely populated. This isn't Jerusalem, it's not the capital, uh, but he's up in the region of Galilee, and he's baptized by John in the Jordan River, and this amazing thing happens to Jesus. And I think the point here is kind of like, well, like, who is Jesus? Like, why should I even listen to him? And the first thing that happens to Jesus is like the heavens are torn open. Yeah. And God himself says, this, this is the one. This yeah. is my son. I mean, you take any guy you grew up with and 
all of a sudden he's claiming to be the son of God. What is it going to take for you to actually believe that? Well, it's going to take God coming out of the heavens and saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what's interesting is this same phrase will be used in a later chapter of Mark when Jesus is transfigured and God will say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so it's amazing that this happens. But like Stephen said, it's confirming Jesus as the son of God. And uh, I think that's a really powerful thing to see. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, this is such a cool beginning to this. I mean, John has been baptizing. I mean, who knows how many hundreds of people are all coming out to him. But Jesus, when he is baptized, I do think we see like what baptism is here in verse nine. He's baptized by John in the Jordan. So like there's this river, Jordan. He's baptized. And when he had come up out of the water, so like baptism here in the Bible is not like a a sprinkling or pouring, but it's an immersion. So like he goes down in the river, comes up out of the river, and then boom, the the heavens are torn open. And it's kind of cool that you see all three persons of God here. There's a lot I don't understand about all of that, the complete nature of God. Some of that's pretty mysterious, but we do see three distinct manifestations of God here. Um, So you've got uh, the spirit descending on him in the form of a dove, like a dove. Uh, You've got the son, who's of course coming up out of the water. Uh, He's he's wet from his baptism. And then the voice comes from heaven that says, you are my beloved son. If you're calling someone your son, what does that make you? That's the father, right? So this is the father speaking from heaven. Uh, with you, I am well pleased. And so this is just one of those cool moments in scripture where we see all three persons of God mentioned in the same little context here. Um, so I just think that's kind of cool. But I guess that kind of brings up a question. Is like, okay, so like, here's like God's perfect son, right? Like the only one who didn't sin. So like, yeah, John was out there saying, hey, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so like, why is Jesus being baptized? Yeah, I mean, that's like Bible 101. Jesus had no sin. And if this guy's baptizing to forgive sins, why is he baptizing Jesus? That's a good question. I think uh, it ties well into a passage from Matthew, and Stephen's looking that up right now. Um, and in Matthew's account, he'll record a very similar thing, or the, the same exact thing, where Jesus is baptized, but he gives more details. You yeah. got that, Stephen? What's funny is like John the baptizer had the same question. Right. So like when Jesus comes, this is Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? <laughs> but Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And then the same thing happens in Matthew. Uh, but that's kind of interesting. So I think the idea here is that Jesus doesn't need forgiveness like we do, but he is fulfilling all righteousness that Jesus came to earth. I've heard it put this way. I think this is helpful. He didn't come to earth to show us how to be God, but he came to earth to show us how to be a righteous person, a righteous human. And that's what he's doing when he's being baptized. Like, hey, like, this is what you need to do to be forgiven of your sins. I mean, I'm not being forgiven of my sins, but he's fulfilling all righteousness. Yeah, he is leading he by example and submitting to the will of God that's in right. doing this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but I think it's kind of funny how John is like, whoa. Like, I mean, of course, he's a prophet himself, yeah. but even he doesn't 
understand initially like why Jesus is coming to him to be baptized. Right. So, um, so here, uh, Mark, uh, has like his favorite word here, right? Uh, verse 12. Yeah. He uses the word immediately. And if you read from the NIV, that can be a good translation. It actually doesn't use that same word there. It'll use a, a couple different words, but in the gospel of Mark, the word immediately is used over 40 times. And again, that's why I said earlier, there is a lot of wisdom and brevity. Over and over again, Mark will, will start a story by saying, well, this immediately happened. And whether it be a miracle of Jesus or a story about Jesus, it's happening right then and right now. And I think that's a really cool fact about Mark yeah. and his gospel. Uh, that's a cool thing. So we've got um, Jesus being baptized. And you think, okay, great. like He's good now, right? Um, but what's interesting is the spirit is the one immediately leading him out, uh, or drove him out, is a trend, my translation, into the wilderness. And he's out in the wilderness for 40 days. Yeah. Doesn't have any food, doesn't have any water for 40 days. And this is just surprising. You're like, well, we thought Jesus was going to get to work. You know, we thought the spirit came down on him. Now he's going to go out and start doing his miracles. But the first place he goes is to be tempted in the wilderness. Yeah. And so he's being tempted by Satan. And I mean, that that's pretty powerful for us. I mean, once we commit our lives to Jesus and we're baptized into Christ, um, we think, oh, okay, well, we're, we're good. Like, we're, sins are forgiven. Yeah. Right Pro- relationship. Problems are going away now. Yeah. It's like, well, actually, for Jesus, like, thing number one is like, things got hard. Yeah. And I mean, 40 days. Jesus in Mark 4 is going to use the parable of the sower. And he's going to talk about that seed that was sowed by the roadside. And that symbolized somebody who was sown on the road and Satan, a bird, comes along and he just snatches that seed away. You know, there's no root. When when we turn our lives over to Christ, that is our most vulnerable moment where Satan can come and try and take us away. And so we can relate to Jesus here. When we turn our lives over to Christ, Satan is often going to pile it on us even harder to trying to get us to, to go back to him. Yeah. And Mark doesn't record for us like the three temptations of Jesus right. like we see in Matthew and in Luke. Right. Um, but he gives us, hey, he was being tempted by Satan and he's out there uh, in the wilderness. Again, kind of in this vulnerable, weak state. And yet he does this without sin. Right. Um, he, he's tempted, but he's not. Uh, he doesn't ever give in. Well, that moves us to Jesus's ministry now that he's done being tempted in the wilderness. Um, we actually see in Luke's account that it says that the devil left Jesus until the next opportune time. And that's where we're going to pick up in Mark's account in Mark 1 in verses 14 through 20. Stephen, yeah, okay. you so want to take Mark, that? Sure, Mark 1, 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Wow. Um, this is where it's really helpful to just really put yourselves in the shoes of a first-time reader. We're introduced to John the Baptist in the beginning of the chapter, and then what happens to him in verse 14? Just kind of like, side note, and this is after John was arrested. Yeah! 
wait, what happened? Right. Like, what do you do? And this goes back to some comments Stephen said earlier, where you really see the gospel writers making their gospel their own by putting stories in certain places and and tying themes together and so forth. Because Mark is actually going to tell us what happened to John the Baptist all the way over in chapter 6. And I think there's a reason for that. And as the as the series progresses, we'll get to talk about that. So John ends up, we learn in chapter 6, is arrested for something that he was teaching. And we'll get into that down the road. But now... The story is about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we circle full, it comes full circle. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he's coming into Galilee and he is preaching the gospel or the good news of God. But this is one of those things I really love about Bible study is that often we are like, well, what does it mean to preach the gospel of God? What does that even mean that he's doing that? But usually, if you just keep reading, your answer is right there. So in verse 15, we learn what Jesus was doing to preach the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, you know, believe in the good news of me, the Savior. And so Jesus is telling us what that means. We need to be willing to repent and believe in him. And we've already talked about that word repent a little bit. Yeah. But we're going to see throughout the gospel, Mark, pictures of repentance. um, Yes. And what it means to fully turn your life over to Christ and leave the life of sin behind. Because I don't know, like sometimes I talk with people and people have the idea of like, oh, well, repenting means like you're sorry for what you did. And like, that's part of repentance. That's called godly sorrow sometimes in like second Corinthians seven. But, uh, repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you did. Repentance is actually changing your mind, which is like, I think what the, the word literally means is like to, to change your mind, yeah. turn around and, and, and then to follow, follow through, you know, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Yeah. It is very much so an action word. It's not just something you say, but it's something you, you exhibit something that you will, people will actually be able to see in you. Yeah. And so that's really a powerful thing to think through. That's right. And we'll have more opportunities as we go through the gospel of Mark to talk more about what repentance means. Yeah. Cause that's an ongoing thing for the follower of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Repent. And so here he's saying the kingdom of God is at hand. And so this is a big deal. Again, Israel has been waiting from the Old Testament for the kingdom. And now they have some very flawed ideas about what that means. We'll mm-hmm. see that as we go through Mark, that like they're expecting a physical king. They want to get rid of the Romans who are the current world power and oppressing them. And uh, But the kingdom of God is going to be something just really different from all of that. And that's what Jesus is proclaiming. And people aren't going to understand it completely initially. But this is the good news that, like, the king is here, finally. Like, they've got a king uh, who's going to come and liberate them in a much greater way than they're anticipating, a spiritual way. And so Jesus is going to call the first disciples here. Um, He goes along the Sea of Galilee. And again, like, just normal dudes, right? Uh, These first four guys... The fishermen. Andrew, Jesus, yeah. and John, yeah, these blue-collar workers. Yeah, and I mean, being a fisherman is still a blue-collar job. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's always... Labor. Yeah, exactly. It, it, it takes smart, and it takes smarts and intelligence and a lot of, you know, uh, zeal for the job because sometimes you don't always get to catch fish. But I mean, these are blue-collar workers. These are just your normal, average guys. Yep. And so Jesus comes along and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Um, so he's kind of saying, all right, like, you're still going to be fishers, like you're fish, fishermen. <laughs> I don't know if fishers. Yeah. Them, but... And I think I love this because it really introduces us to how Jesus is going to teach in the future. 
Mm-hmm. He's going to change words or use very familiar things to us to get us to understand what he needs us to do for him. Right. And so for these fishermen, he kind of makes a pun and says, you're not going to be fishing for men. That's right. Uh, and hopefully they understood what he meant and they didn't actually go out and try and catch men themselves. <laughs> right, right. He'll explain what that means. Yeah, exactly. But what's interesting is that, I mean, I, I always, again, kind of grew up thinking like, are these guys just gullible or what? Like this dude comes up on the yeah. seashore and is like, follow me. And they're like, okay. Yeah. I mean, any of you listening to the podcast, some of you may have never met Stephen and I ever. If I just walked to, up to you and said, hey, follow me. Everyone's natural inclination is going to be like, no, I don't know you. You, you know, you weirdo. Stop asking me to follow you. But what Stephen is alluding to is actually in John's account, we learned that these guys did have some knowledge of who Jesus was. Yeah. Maybe he'd even seen him do a couple of miracles at least. Possibly so. And, yeah. and and we have particularly like Andrew uh, was a disciple of John the baptizer. Right. And he's going to go and tell Peter like, hey, we found the Messiah. Because John is going to say like, hey, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And that's really helpful to see that like they had some previous exposure to John the Baptist teaching. And John was the one saying, hey, it's not me. It's not me. It's the one coming after me. And then when he sees Jesus, he's like, yep, that's the one. He's the lamb. Follow him. And so I think that's one reason that they're so willing in this moment. I mean, they don't know everything about Jesus yet. That's going to be clear as we go along. that They have a lot to learn about Jesus, but they know enough to know. Here's the guy. Yeah. Like he's the one. And so when Jesus says, follow me, I love this. And I'm like, Hey Jesus, like, okay, like I think three more hours on the clock and then like, we'll come. <laughs> it's like, no, they're, they're in the boat or they're actually, yeah, they're casting a net into the sea and he's like, follow me. And they just drop the nets and follow him. Like no questions asked. They just put down their work and follow Jesus. And then with James and John, it's kind of interesting that the extra detail there is they left their dad. Like there's Zebedee. And I don't know what he's thinking. Like, hey, where are you going? Yeah, or why don't I get to come? <laughs> right, yeah. He's just kind of left sitting there and they leave him behind. And he's got the hired servants with him. But these two men, James and John, they go and they follow Jesus. So yeah, they're, we see an example of people leaving their work behind. And we see an example of people leaving their family behind yeah. for the sake of following Jesus. That's right. And Jesus calls different people in different ways. Like he doesn't tell every single person to quit their job and like just leave on the spot. But we see that the authority of Jesus is such that even though these guys don't know everything about him yet, they know enough to know this is worth leaving. Yeah. The the fundamentals of my life, like my job and my family, my source of income, my relationships, um, that like this is this is takes precedence over that. And I'm I'm getting up. And I'm leaving my, my nets and I'm leaving my dad and I'm going to go follow right. Jesus and I'm going to have new work to do. Yeah. I'm going to be fishing for men. And so what Mark is going to do in the next section, and Lord willing, we'll pick up here next week, is in verses 21 and into chapter 2, Mark is going to tell us why these guys left everything behind to follow Jesus. He's going to give us four solid reasons why these guys did it. And in particular, he's going to be demonstrating to us the authority that Jesus had that convince these men to leave their family and leave their work and follow after him. And so Lord willing, we'll get to talk about that in the next podcast, but man, what an, what an opening yeah. to a gospel. That's right. It's amazing. 
I mean, it just makes you want more. And one of the things I love about the gospel writers is they just write these stories and they don't explain everything like right out of the gate. Like they're, they're kind of letting you meet Jesus just like those people would have met Jesus. And we're going to see people who have questions that aren't answered immediately and people struggling with like, who is this guy? Jesus' very own disciples struggling. Yeah. Yeah. And so it helps us to realize like, okay, like we're all grappling with this. Uh, idea of faith. We're coming to trust this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who was no ordinary man. And that's what the Gospels are inviting us to do, yeah. is to see Jesus more clearly and, and follow him. And Lord willing, uh, each and every one of us, by the end of this series, will be able to proclaim, just like the centurion did, truly this man was the Son of God. That's, that's, right. that's the goal here. That's what Mark is trying to do here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again, um, if you are in the Harrisburg area uh, or anywhere else, we'd love to hear from you, get input on the podcast. If you have questions or things you'd like to talk about, um, drop us a line. Um, you can uh, text or call us at 717-585-0949. Uh, you can shoot us an email at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com uh, or visit us online at capitalcitychristians.com. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today.